0: listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me Yet again co hosted with the mostist, Paul Doroshenko.
0: Getting to the end of August.
1: Okay. Thank the 20th. you. Thank you for that.
0: We're past the middle.
1: What what is the point of this observation? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just looking
0: at the floor and thinking to myself i today was my brain scan. Yeah. And uh, well. I've been waiting for that, and there's been anticipation for it, and today's the 20th, and mm-hmm. tomorrow's the 21st when it comes out. And, yeah, then the day after is the I 22nd. Realized, no, but I was just thinking, like, you know, it's the summertime, you feel like summer, there's a the period of summer where you think it's never going to end. You think, oh, you know, the summertime feeling, they don't you feel safe, you can just go out, walk around, you can't, you know, go to a store or something, but you, you can just go outside. And today it's raining, and uh, we found out when school's going back. And, um, I had my brain scan. We'll see, you know, there, there was a brain. That was good. Um, and it just feels like now summer is dwindling away.
1: Yes. Indeed.
0: That's the way it goes.
1: My vacation plans have been interfered with.
0: Ever so slightly.
1: I I disagree with you on that. And you raised this dwindling away sensation, losing an hour, hour and a half to four hours, maybe, of my vacation. In the sense of the impending dwindlingness of summer, that's actually incredibly stressful. Especially when my vacation is only 72 hours long.
0: Well, you go for quality instead of quantity.
1: Well, it's also impacting the quality, unfortunately, so... Anyway, people don't want to hear about how my vacation got screwed up and how I lost 5% of it. They want to hear about driving law.
0: Well, let's get on it.
1: Okay, let's get on it. Um, Texas.
0: What about it? Texas, it's hot there. in
1: April, decided that they would stop doing their regular monthly checks of all of their breath testing equipment, stop changing all of the alcohol standards, and stop cleaning them. So since April... No breath testing equipment in Texas has been cleaned, recalibrated, had standard changes, or had any quality assurance evaluations.
0: Well, great for people who are charged in Texas, bad for the, <laughs> uh, the, the scheme, uh, terrible for the circumstances where they breath test somebody and there's been an uh, accident with a death or something like that.
1: Well, it's it's fascinating because the Texas, I guess, whoever are in charge of this posted a, a letter, you know, to indicate that this was going to happen and then update their, you know, continuous extensions of the time to deal with the, with the tests. And the most recent one, they're like, this will not affect the validity of any tests.
0: They're going to have a problem with that <laughs> because there is a reason that you do all of that stuff the rest of the time. Mm hmm. And uh, if you want to continue to comply with the manufacturer's requirements, the ISO requirements, mm-hmm. uh, the accepted scientific uh, principles and requirements, you have to maintain the instrument. So what's happening as a result? I mean, the defense bar must be
1: yeah. I on mean, the verge
0: of laughing, I would think.
1: I assume that Texas is basically just going to have to face the wrath of DeAndre Grant now.
0: Yeah, and there's a few other lawyers there who will take them to task, but Deandra's office certainly.
1: Deandra posted about it on Facebook today, and of course, as we know, Deandra, uh, friend of the podcast, former podcast guest, she's uh, she's somebody who's
0: she's going to make it miserable for them.
1: Yes, she is. But I just
0: don't understand why you wouldn't continue to do those things. You do them all without a group of people in the room. It's, uh, none of them require two people. It's a single. Technician or supervisor goes in there to change the standard. There's a single technician or supervisor who goes in there to make sure that everything is updated well There's they're
1: a... they're kept somewhere different in Texas than they ordinarily are in like here in b c or in Canada um so in Texas, they keep them actually in the jails, so the people that are going and doing all of the quality assurance and calibration and and replacing the standards and cleaning and maintenance are not people who ordinarily work there.
0: Oh, so the concern was exposing those people to COVID?
1: Yes. That was their justification. Well, you know, there's all these safety protocols in place and they don't want people coming in. But they'll
0: bring in people who are been arrested or accused to in such a, (laughs) into such a place and put their life on the line and have them exposed to the people who are in custody. Come on, Paul. Okay. Well, I mean, our, look, ours are most of the time sitting in within a few meters of where the poli- other people are detained in cells under police detachments. I mean, they're only over there for one night, but unless they're serving a a, um, a suspended sentence or something. Intermittent sentence, rather.
1: Yes. Um, so yeah, Texas, you've got a problem. You'd better fix it. <laughs> Clean your machines. Think about how disgusting they are inside. They haven't been cleaned.
0: Yeah. Um... I've heard from people who have worked on uh, instruments over the years that when they go to clean them, they pull out all uh, sorts of things. And bleh, I don't even want to imagine bleh. what's in there. So gross. So disgusting. Because it's people spit goes ew, into
1: it. Ew, ew, ew. I don't even want to think about it. It's so gross.
0: It's absolutely disgusting. Anyway, anyway yeah.
1: let's talk about something less disgusting. You were recently driving my car. When you got a knock on the window from a good Samaritan who wanted to tell you that your insurance decal was not valid.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to just say, yeah, it was stolen. I know. You should have. And I should have. I just, I can't believe somebody would have put their their life on the line to expose themselves to me potentially having COVID in the car to be the good Samaritan. Well, and also get out in traffic. Well, and who cares?
1: Who cares, exactly. Who
0: the fuck cares? It's somebody else driving. Um, yes, it was probably would have been wiser had you had your sticker on well, there. Well, see,
1: this is what happens, Paul. Every year I go, I renew my insurance, I fork over all the cash, and then I never drive to the insurance place. It's usually like in a mall or somewhere I happen to be, and I go, oh, yeah, I got to renew that insurance, and so I go and do it. And then they give me the decal, and then I get to my car, and I'm like, oh, I'll put this on later, and I stick it in the glove box. And most of the time... My dad or somebody reminds me, like, a week later, and I put it on. But this year...
0: So basically you expect others to do your job for yourself. Yes, yes,
1: I expect others to remind me of my adult responsibilities. I'm a millennial, (laughs) Paul. Um, This year nobody reminded me, and I realized at, I guess, the end of July that I still had my old insurance decal on there. And then I thought, how long can I go before...
0: Somebody <laughs> exposes themselves to me and I almost maybe could potentially now get COVID as a result because they think they're being a good Samaritan. I
1: wouldn't have unrolled my window if a man came up in traffic and knocked on my window. Well,
0: that's you, you know, another me man. Me and here. every
1: like, other woman in the planet. No,
0: you're thinking to yourself, maybe there's actually something wrong with the car. Your trunk lid used to open all the time in your car. That's true. Anyway. So I'm think, I'm just assuming that they, I'm assuming you know, that the other people are generally good. I operate under the assumption that humans wish to, you know, try to be good.
1: Well, humans don't try to be good because ICBC has this huge problem right now of people just like me who are driving de- around with decals that don't match their insurance. And the reason why is they all renewed online when you could renew online in the pandemic. And ICBC is like, oh, yeah, for sure, we'll just mail you your decal. Well, if you don't get your mail or... If somebody steals your decal from your mail, then you don't have the decal. So that's kind of why I figured I could see how long I could
0: go. So you were basically going to rely on the pandemic excuse, yeah. despite the fact that it was pre-pandemic. Pure laziness on my that part. You renewed your insurance.
1: I had valid insurance, and anyway, so there's this huge problem with decals being stolen, so bad that ICBC has got the government to change the Motor Vehicle Act to no longer require decals.
0: Yeah. Are they going to issue them?
1: No. No, they're going to stop issuing them.
0: So you won't know just looking at it anymore?
1: No. but As, as of when? Uh, well, the legislation has passed, so it just needs to come into force and effect. And then, I guess, all of the appropriate changes need to be made. But, like, if you think about it... Police don't rely on the decal to enforce anything about your insurance. No, they're
0: using automatic license plate scanning.
1: And that's reading the actual, like, cards. It's reading the plate. plate. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's not necessary. And... Pretty much most of Canada doesn't use the decal system. Really? Yeah. We're way behind the times here.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Think of all the dollars that have been spent printing those decals on that special sticker paper, assigning each one a unique serial number.
0: It's too bad because I, um, I have... Dumpster fire. No, I, I just, I feel this like special connection to my license plate when I put my decal on and I do it perfectly. I get it on there, I line it up. My stack of decals, I've had the same plate for 23 years, so my stack of decals is a quarter of an inch thick at this point. And I want it to get thicker. I mean, I want to get to a one-inch decal before I quit driving You know the what rest would've... of my life with the same plate.
1: You know what would have happened to me if I'd made it to December when my insurance came up again and I renewed and I still hadn't put the decal on?
0: You would have tried to go another year. Yeah, it would. yeah. yeah it
1: would. I, I would have been like, how long can I push this?
0: In the last few weeks, I've seen somebody who had spray painted their license plate the color of their car. I saw another person who put a plastic cover over it. So it was so dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to think that these are attempts to uh, obscure the license plate for the purpose of defeating photo radar photo, uh, intersection, uh, red light cameras.
1: Yes. And,
0: uh, you know, I have to think if I was a police officer, if I ever saw that, I would stop every car where I saw that. Well, people also do it. Some people beat their license plate up. Oh, it's just so old.
1: Yeah. Yeah. People also do it in a different way, where they just skip the whole license plate altogether and make a fake one. One time I was in traffic court, and I saw this guy getting prosecuted for no front plate because he had, like... I don't know, Lamborghini or a Ferrari or some fancy Italian sports car that doesn't have a front plate mount ordinarily. Mm -hmm. And uh, so to deal with the problem, he went and he had a like sticker of his front plate made that he stuck on the front of the car. And this officer whom, you know, um, he ticketed the guy for no front plate and ran, ran the trial and lost because the, J.J.P. found that there was due diligence. I'm not sure no front plate is huh. an offense to which the defense of due diligence applies. Well, it's not but... the
0: same plate. It doesn't have the same reflective.
1: Yeah. yeah. But he was, you know, he'd done it only in the interim because he'd ordered a mount, but it had to be special ordered, and then it has to be specially mounted onto the vehicle, so it's not damaged the okay, vehicle, well, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But anyway, the, the point is, people go to creative lengths, like... This case I saw recently of a motorcyclist who was fined nearly $1,000 because he used a license plate that he printed on cardboard and cool. stuck it on his motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really good. It was like, like he he had like the shadow effect behind the letters to make it look like they were coming out. Like, yeah. the, the picture of it, you're like... He put a lot of effort into that. But it was a fake that. plate. But it was a fake plate with a fake decal, um, And the Mounties uh, ticketed him for no insurance, no license, no plate. So, I mean, we know why he was making... So this was B.C.? This was in B.C., oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, don't do that, folks. Yeah. Don't try that one at home.
1: Don't make a fake plate, please.
0: I, um, and I would I generally encourage people not to obscure their plate. I've noticed that a lot of people with bike racks at this time of the year um, can obscure their plate. And I drove through Alberta where I normally get a photo radar ticket. And I had bikes on the back of my vehicle the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I've had nothing in the mail. So we'll wait and see. So maybe you just have to drive around with a bike or a bunch of bikes on the back of your car. You're not really obstructing your plate. I've often wondered about that. Um, I do know of a method but I won't tell people what it is. You cannot the condone method that obstruction. I, the me- well, I, yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty safe one. But I know back when I was in high school... You're going
1: to tell me off the air, right? I'll tell you off
0: the air for sure. <laughs> but back when I was in high school, my my system was to, uh, to put a hinge on it with a very light spring. And so when I was accelerating, it, the license plate would flop back down.
1: I think it's an and offense... And then when I'd
0: stop, it would come back up. I built it. I didn't want to use it. I couldn't use it. But I was 17, right?
1: I think it's an offense to have a license plate that's not properly secured.
0: Well, it was properly secured. When the vehicle was stopped, I'd be like, look, see? It's right there. When you accelerate yeah. it, it just drop down. I'd, and...
1: I'd ticket you.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> I'd ticket you. I'd be like,
0: fuck you, dispute it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um,
0: well, I didn't install it after going through all that effort. But...
1: So you and I have talked extensively on this podcast about mandatory breath testing yes we have and today oh, is a dark, into dark day today bedtime. is a dark day in canadian law darkest Yep.
0: yeah again october or uh, august 20th is uh brain scan and mandatory breath testing
1: and five percent of my vacation being ruined
0: We'll see if it works out that way. But in any event, yes. I'm going to track the minutes. I'm sure you will. The, uh, knowing you, um, yeah, dark day. Very dark day. In Starting in Saskatchewan, the darkest the province. Yep.
1: The darkest province, the darkest hour, the darkest be Saskatchewan Provincial Court ruling. Because the court determined that mandatory breath testing is constitutional. I mean, they didn't say it is constitutional. They said it's unconstitutional, but it's saved by Section 1 of the Charter because there's a, you know, a pressing objective achieved by it, you know, getting all those drunk drivers off the road and ensuring that people are safe and shit like that.
0: Um, Yeah. One wonders what... um, So... Uh, I wasn't surprised to find out about it. It happened in Saskatchewan. Um, you, know, you are the president of the Canadian Impaired Driving Lawyers Association. You're in touch with some of the leading people across the country who run these things. Um, and it wasn't a member of the Canadian Impaired Driving Lawyers Association. And nobody contacted us or you or anybody else in well in advance of this to discuss it. And so one thinks that maybe it could have been argued better
1: more thoroughly well i mean the problem i think is that i mean there's stuff i know about it that i can't say on the podcast um but i think when you don't have a fulsome evidentiary record especially on a section one issue you have the crown being like it saves lives. Well, and the
0: Crown can get all sorts of evidence. They've probably been preparing for this for yeah, months. they and have. all the Crown probably had it across the country waiting to use it.
1: Yeah, they do. They have all these statistics on death, and they have statistics on countries where um, it's worked. And they say, you know, this is the yardstick, right? It, it works in these countries. The death rate goes down, so therefore it saves lives, so therefore you have... Um, a successful program. And it was the same type of like justification that we heard in the challenges to the IRP scheme. Well, it doesn't matter how bad a law is and how much it infringes your rights because it saves lives.
0: Well, it usually takes a few people to look at that evidence and pick it apart. And we were able to pick it apart pretty easily in the IRP scheme. And uh, we probably, I think the group of lawyers who got together to fight it should have spent more time working on picking that apart. I want because to... I remember we got ICBC's internal report years later where they conceded that they could not say that the That wasn't
1: ICBC's scheme... internal report. That was a study from UVic.
0: No, you're thinking of a different one. ICBC had an internal report that um, I was... Uh, I uh, ultimately obtained where ICBC confirmed, not the superintendent of motor vehicles, ICBC confirmed that they could not conclude it. The UVic study was rubbish. And that was before.
1: Okay, so I want to read you a... Passage from the judgment. Since driving is not an inherent right and is subject to extensive regulations to protect life and property, and since I find there are no obvious or apparent less restrictive schemes that the government could employ, I find the Crown has proven on the balance of probabilities that the legislation impairs the accused's rights in a minimal way. Now think about that for a second. Because the Oakes test and the elements of the Oakes test, I think, are conflated by the judge there. I think he's looking at minimal impairment and conflating it with the availability of less restrictive means. And I also think that you can't just say that because driving is not an inherent right and it's subject to extensive regulation that you can justify an impairment like this with like having these these big civil liberties intrusions. I actually think that this aspect of the judgment is completely out of step with the way that we've been seeing the Supreme Court of Canada treating privacy rights, your right not to be arbitrarily detained, um, your, your right to be dealt with without state intrusion, um, even in a motor vehicle. In the last little while, like look, look at look at the Lee case where you know Mr. Lee's just in a backyard. He's not even at his own house, and there was a Section Nine violation. The Supreme Court of Canada had some words about that. Look at um, the Ontario Court of Appeal decision in Thompson, where Mr. Thompson's sitting in a parking lot and the police box him in. Right? It's driving. He's in a car, so he has a reduced privacy interest. And yet, that violation was so severe, the Ontario Court of Appeal was like, nope. All the bad stuff that the police found out. So,
0: there's an obvious less intrusive method, and it's the less intrusive method that we had before.
1: Yeah, and and the judge basically says, because these other things have been tried and failed, he says, um, previous attempts or strategies to detect alcohol in a driver, such as observation for signs of impairment like slurred speech or bloodshot eyes, smell of alcohol, questioning of a driver about his alcohol consumption, and field sobriety tests have all had varied degrees of success, but also of failure. And again, you're confusing this issue of something being minimally intrusive, and minimally impairing, simply because it's less prone to failing? Like, and if you talk to an older police officer, any older police officer will say that's it's not actually that hard to form a suspicion. And I honestly think that the, the judgment also conflates the test for arrest for impaired operation and the test for a reasonable suspicion which is just a constellation of factors that would allow the officer to reasonably conclude on an objective basis that he or she believes that this person, or suspects rather, that this person has alcohol in their body, right? And he's, he's saying attempts or strategies to detect alcohol in a driver, which is, you know, not a suspicion, but... A presence of alcohol as opposed to a suspicion of a presence of alcohol. And he talks about field sobriety tests, which are still used and were in fact bolstered in C46.
0: Attempts to detect uh, people committing um, crimes on the internet have had various different methods that have been approached by the police, and none of them have been able to eliminate crime on the internet. It's true. Therefore, the only other alternative is for the police to read every email you have and to have access at all times to your computer and be able to watch you on your webcam and your home.
1: <coughs> and actually, if you want to relate that back to Supreme Court of Canada jurisprudence, the there were court decisions... Like, I think in 2012, involving your right to privacy in your subscriber information with your internet service provider. The police just can't get that through a production order, which still has some level of judicial oversight, and then compels the company to hand it over to police. And the Supreme Court of Canada is like, no, you can't just, you know, order somebody to produce that that easily by writing provisions into the criminal code that allow them to just demand it.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see if this particular decision is appealed or if it'll be an appeal from a decision in another province. Ultimately, it's going to end up at the Supreme Court of Canada, and we could have a 4-5 split or a 5-4 split. It could just go however it goes, and uh, it will. is it ever going to be right or wrong? Uh, we'll have decisions probably going both directions, which we've seen in the past. Well, the last time, we had a substantive change to uh, impaired driving law, and... Um, Ultimately, um, you know, we just have to live with what we get, but it hardly inspires confidence uh, in the justice system that this, you know, is the way it's going to play out.
1: It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it is disappointing, and I'm disappointed I was not there to argue
0: this. Police officers across the country are looking at it, and many of them are not comfortable with the constitutionality of it. Many police officers are avoiding using it. I cannot see why it would not be used basically in every investigation where they are contemplating the possibility of using an ASD, why they would not just make the mandatory demand. And I'm sort of at the point when I look at it now thinking, this is the tool that's in their toolbox. Everything else is an unnecessary delay. Because they've put this tool in the police toolbox. I still think it's unconstitutional. But it requires that the detention is the shortest detention possible. And so right now we've got police officers in this country who are going to, saying to themselves, I'm not comfortable with this mandatory demand section. I'm going to detain this person. I'm going to hold them here for a while and try and figure out whether or not they've got alcohol in their body so I can make a suspicion demand. And that's not good. When you've got another demand that lets them detain the person less and do it faster. So the two end up really in conflict. It's making the police do something wrong, which is detaining somebody, Mm -hmm. when they don't need to detain the person anymore. Now, I would prefer that the job was to detain them. I would prefer that they would hold them there for a minute to try and suss it out without making a, uh, compelling a person to blow in circumstances where we are gonna see a lot of refusal cases. Because people can't blow, or struggle to blow, or the police officer's not using it properly. And they're in circumstances where the person had nothing to drink because they were subjected to a mandatory test. But now that they've got this tool, it is absolute bullshit in my mind that they detain people. Sorry?
1: Well, maybe you could argue, you know, if if the whole mandatory testing scheme continues to be upheld across the country maybe you could argue that suspicion testing is now invalid because it's not the least intrusive method. It violates Section 9 and it doesn't minimally impair the right because you can go straight to the mandatory demand. So the Section 1 issues that previously justified them no longer apply and a new Section 1 analysis is required and lo and behold, a suspicion standard for an unreasonable search and a detention is not the Section 1 and Salvation.
0: And this is what I've been thinking in the last few weeks. So we I'd get rid of
1: suspicion demands. It doesn't help. Because the officers will just make mandatory demands every time. Then. But I've
0: seen so many unlawful mandatory demands. So, so
1: many. So, so many. Um, I mean,
0: unlawful and not the fact that it's unlawful. You, the, the law, it's not being applied correctly.
1: You raise an interesting point, though. And that's about refusals going up because of people who legitimately can't blow. And I see that as a big problem post-COVID. So you know that I have had
0: complications. You've had diminished lung capacity. And one of the biggest concerns is that people have damaged lungs, ongoing damaged lungs. I think it was one-third of uh, people had one third less lung capacity was one st- one news report I read.
1: Yeah, it's um. You know, <clears> I <throat> haven't since I got COVID. I haven't done a breath test. I haven't tried, and I don't know if I can do it.
0: Well, you <laughs> run out of breath walking up the stairs. You can't maintain yep. a conversation when you walk anymore. Nope. Um, and um, so yeah, I think you could end up having some problems. You're you?
1: like, let's do the walk and talk, and I'm like. <gasps>
0: We used to do the walk and talk. It was like a CTV law office drama <laughs> where we'd walk. It's not very far to walk. I mean, there's you know you can walk in the office from my office up to the front reception. It's a, I don't know, yep. 25 feet. Um, so you could do the walk and talk. Let's do the walk and talk. Can't do it anymore.
1: Can't do the walk Kyla and talk. Kyla
0: runs out of breath after about 15 feet.
1: I'm actually a little bit anxious for what's going to happen when I have to go back to court and I'm cross-examining again. Like, am I going to be able to be on my feet for a whole day.
0: Well, they're going to have to adjust the court schedule for you.
1: Or just let me sit. But I don't want to lose my power.
0: No, they'll adjust the court schedule for you. You know, They'll have two hours a day of court on for Kyla days.
1: <laughs> so my trials will never complete.
0: Uh, you've still conducted on various days five immediate roadside prohibition <laughs> hearings at 30 minutes each, where you use 30 minutes during the entire time, and in the 30 minutes in between, you managed to phone a bunch of people. Yes. Yes, you were That's yes. true. Uh, but uh, we can get you one of those like uh, uh, dollies like they had in uh, Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. Just
1: push me around push the courtroom. Push you room. around the courtroom.
0: <clears throat> um,
1: but I am, you know, I'm, I think, relatively healthy prior to getting COVID. There are people who didn't have as much lung capacity as me before. And I think we're going to see, you know, in the next... 18 months, a huge increase in people who are trying to blow and not able to do it who are COVID survivors.
0: No, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it.
1: If you are a COVID survivor and you, in the future, get a refusal to blow charge and you want to talk to us about it, please call. It'd be interesting to track those statistics.
0: Well, it will be interesting to see the studies coming out over the years. So people are going to have a built-in defense. And uh, if you're a COVID survivor, do your best to try and blow. But if you can't blow, you're going to have a defense.
1: COVID is not the only reason not to go to the United States, Paul.
0: Is there? Is there more?
1: There is. There is more. Hmm. It's our ridiculous driver of the week. (laughs) The ridiculous driver of the week. (laughs) Woohoo <laughs> So in Yellowstone National Park not there was Yos-
0: not Yosemite? What? Not Yosemite National Park? Yosemite? Yosemite?
1: Ha <laughs> <laughs>
0: ha Didn't know how to pronounce Yosemite. Oh,
1: I don't pay attention to what he says. Oh, okay. Why? Why waste my time? called it Yosemite. Well, Yosemite.
0: He's never heard he's of illiterate. Yosemite Sam. He's never, he's, a, well, he's an idiot.
1: And illiterate.
0: He might be. There's lots of illiterate people who are not idiots.
1: That's why I said and illiterate. Okay. Anyway, so Yellowstone National Park. Uh, there was an SUV just parked in the parking lot, minding its own SUV business. A crowd of tourists gathered around doing touristy things in the park when all of a sudden a six foot log snake crawls or slithers out of this suv into the crowd it was like unwinding itself across the entire width of this suv it's a toyota highlander think about how big those are and the car is like covered in snake yeah
0: Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah, go, go on. You haven't told me this one. Sometimes I know. about this one. What is it? What happens?
1: So it's uh, it t- takes a striking pose, so like it's gonna bite somebody, and then moves from one side of the SUV to the other. And a park ranger, uh, had to come with snake tongs, which, are a thing, apparently, um, and knock it to the ground. Uh, and then there was. In the way of this snake, there was like a group of more tourists, probably people who were now gawking at this massive snake, and when he knocked it with a snake tox, he knocks it into the crowd. So now the snake's angry and in this giant crowd of, of people. Um but then the snake ran off into the park.
0: What kind of snake? I don't know. That I doesn't don't see say. how this I'm still not how is this connected to the driver?
1: What's he doing with a massive snake in his car?
0: Well, is that the only snake he had in the car? That we know of. What kind of snake? I don't know. Well, I still haven't got it connected to this driver. So I, when I was 17 years old, I was in the River Valley. In well, Edmonton maybe it's and a I,
1: Ridiculous Snake of the Week. And I don't I, know. And I it was in a up, car.
0: I picked up a garter snake, and I somehow... Got it into a box that I had in my car. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why I had this in a box in my car. Mm -hmm. But as I was driving home, I got in a car accident. Mm -hmm. Uh, First, uh, second car accident of my life. Of course, you know, you're young, you're Mm -hmm. wild. Um, Got the magic power of the music in me. And um, What happened to the snake? Well, the snake was in my car, and my car had to get towed home. And I had to get home. Like, I wasn't going with the tow truck. And then I realized I had to get home and get that snake out, because I couldn't, wasn't going to leave that poor snake in a box. Anyway, um, snake in a box. Um, So I, I did. But I felt that maybe it was the curse of the snake.
1: That's not the best garter snake story. Let me tell you. Was it,
0: does it relate to a car? Mine relates to a car.
1: Mine doesn't relate to a car, but mine's good anyway.
0: <laughs> this is driving law, Kyla.
1: Yeah, well, you talked about... Something boring at the beginning too. <laughs> um, so when I I was a kid, me and my brother and sister would go out. We lived in the middle of the woods, and we'd catch snakes. Uh-huh. And we caught this very big garter snake, and we put it in a bucket, and yeah. we brought the snake in the bucket into the house. And then my mom came home from work and saw the snake in the bucket, and she was like, "You can't have that in the house." And we said, "No, no, no, it's okay. We're gonna keep him as a pet." And she's like, "You better make sure he doesn't escape." So then, my mom comes by a few minutes later. My sister's standing, looking into the bucket. Mom looks in. There's no snake. She says, Nikita, where did the snake go? Nikita says, I don't know. I guess he went home. Several months went by, and my mom was vacuuming our basement, when she discovered the snake had been living under our computer desk downstairs and was trapped under it. And I guess it was probably eating whatever it was like walking by to stay alive. But it's like slithering at her. <laughs> she was really pissed off.
0: Well, I assume you released the snake in the end.
1: Yeah, she, she caught snake and released it outside. And we weren't allowed to bring snakes in the house anymore because, you know.
0: I don't think this story is as good as my snake story.
1: Your snake was in a box. My snake was living in my house for several months.
0: My snake lived in my car for several hours. Hours, okay. I probably caused the accident. And How I, did it cause the accident? And I freed him. Because it was the curse of the snake.
1: <laughs> that's not a thing.
0: Well, that's what I thought maybe happened at the time. Okay, well... I learned my lesson and I was never cruel to a snake again.
1: That's probably a good lesson to learn. Do you have anything to add to the podcast this week, Paul?
0: Nope, that's about it. It is um, it is uh, rainy in Vancouver, and um, I've got car things to do. I want to get on my mini car things to do. I enjoyed that. I was uh, upset about this decision from Saskatchewan. It's a dark uh, day. It's um, cathartic to talk about it. Uh, I'm upset that it wasn't... Well thought of. It wasn't something that was planned by the the sense I got well in advance. Correct. um, Because had it been planned well in advance, somebody that we know in our group would have known and we could have buckled down and done it. But that's fine. You know, we just have to turn it around next time. Yes. I note that um, you have not had this argument despite the fact that the law has been in effect for a year and a half. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: you've been trying to get it on desperately uh, trying and the government doesn't seem to be as enthusiastic about putting it up against you as they have been maybe in this case and so that's how the law works which is kind of depressing
1: well that's our podcast enjoy your dark days and your mandatory tests. And if you get a mandatory test and either can't provide a sample or fail it and face some consequences as a result, give us a call. We are at 604-685-8889 or you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.